0: Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I focus on crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. All right, True Crime Army, I made a few big announcements last week on Instagram, so just make sure that you're following me on there so that you're not behind. You can follow me there at Military Murder Podcast. I announced last week that I have a new release schedule. Instead of every week, I will be releasing a new episode every other week. So be sure that you subscribe, which means that you click or follow the check mark wherever you listen. That way you are immediately notified when a new episode drops. Also, I do plan on going live tonight on TikTok at 9 p.m. Central. So make sure that you're following me on TikTok and you can follow me there at Military Margo with the T at the end. And finally, just a reminder that if you're in need of more content, you can check out my Patreon where there's at least 30 episodes of content just like you listen to every single week. And you can check that out at patreon.com slash military murder. All right. Enough announcements on with the show. Today's case is my first of its kind. This is my first U.S. Coast Guard case. Wait. You're probably like, Margot, what about episode 59 where you talked about Dennis Zecca? Well, yeah, you're not wrong, but you know, Dennis Zecca was a retired Coast Guardsman. This case involves three active duty Coast Guard members. And today's case will likely leave you just a little bit numb. At least that's how I felt. Thank you to all my listeners who recommended this case. Join me today as I tell you a story that began in Kodiak, Alaska. And concluded in tragedy in Bourne, Massachusetts. This is the story of Lisa Trubnikova. Now, let's dig in. My sources for this episode are a documentary on Crime Watch Daily, an episode of Killer Behind the Camera, which is a BBC show, a Massachusetts Appellate Court opinion, reporting in Cape Cod Times, Cape Coast and Islands, Psychology Today and portions of the trial which I watched on the Law and Crime Network. On February 5th, 2015, Lisa Trebnikova and her wife Anna were fast asleep in their Monument Beach condo located on 11 Roundhouse Road in Bourne, Massachusetts. Both members of the Coast Guard, Anna was stationed at Woods Hole, and Lisa was stationed at Joint Base Cape Cod. They lived in this home for about a year and some change, and at the house they had two cats, And they had recently added a puppy to their family, which they had in a crate in their bedroom. The day prior, on February 4th, 2015, Anna had some type of training that day. So she attended her class or her training from about 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 p.m. And then after work, together with her wife, Lisa, they went to a car dealership. A month earlier, Lisa had totaled her car and she was in need of a new one. Well, after they visited the dealership, they went to the mall and then they got home at around 9 p.m. Once home, they were so tired that they went straight to their bedroom where they prepared for the night and watched TV before falling asleep. At about two o'clock in the morning, now on February 5th, Lisa woke up when she heard some weird noises coming from downstairs. She startled Anna awake, but a still groggy Anna was like, hey, listen, it's probably just a cat. But as she lay back down, well, that's when she started hearing very heavy footsteps coming up the stairs. And then, boom, their bedroom door swung open. And it was then that full chaos ensued. It was dark and a man dressed in all dark tactical gear was now in their bedroom. A light flashing in the women's eyes as they screamed from sheer terror. The man shouted commands, separate and get on the floor. The women shouted back, who are you? What do you want? Anna wasn't trying to be defiant, but she was sure that whoever this person was, they had gotten the wrong house. I guess in thinking about it, it does kind of sound like a raid. Someone wearing tactical gear bursts into your suburban home shouting commands. But the light is flashing right in Lisa and Anna's face. And it's clear that this man knows who they are. He can see their face and he has the right house. As Anna's eyesight corrects itself in the darkness, as the light continues to flash right in her eyes, she notices that the man has at least one gun. The ladies lay in bed as the man walked to the edge of the bed and yanked the covers off. Lisa was not letting up, though. She wanted to know who the hell he was, and she yelled, Who are you and what do you want? The man then removed his mask, and Lisa yelled, Adrian Loya? Adrian Loya? What do you want? What are you doing here? The man then yelled, See what you've done to me? You're making me do this. This is what I've become. Lisa yelled, I'm so sorry. But Adrian replied, it's too late. You had two years to say you were sorry. Lisa Angelica Berlanga was born on March 13th, 1983, in Midland, Texas, to her parents, Luis and Virginia Berlanga. Lisa grew up with many siblings, and their family was an active member of the Spanish-speaking Pentecostal Church. And due to their religious upbringing, the Berlanga children were active in youth group, and they often traveled conducting church missions. Lisa graduated from Midland High School in 2001, and she attended Midland College. Then she moved to Houston in 2003, where she attended the University of Houston. For a very long time, Lisa knew that she was gay. And due to the fact that her church denomination frowned upon this, Lisa and another one of her friends ended up leaving the church. By the time 2008 rolled around, Lisa was open about her sexuality, but her next life choice would make it difficult for her to live out in the open, at least in the beginning. In 2008, Lisa excitedly joined the United States Coast Guard, and she was assigned as an information systems technician. By all accounts, Lisa enjoyed her time in the military. She lived in a ton of different places from 2008 to 2015, including New Orleans, Kodiak, Alaska, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, And that doesn't even include all the temporary assignments she went on for training. Well, in 2011, while on one of these TDYs at the U.S. Coast Guard A School in Petaluma, California, Lisa met another service member that made her heart skip a beat. Her name was Anna Trupnikova. And when they met, sparks flew. They quickly began dating and became engaged to be married before the end of the year. Lisa Berlanga and Anna Trepnikova married on December 30th, 2011, in New York City. They were so excited to finally have this opportunity. The military's Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy had recently been repealed in September of 2011. So the women were proud to finally be able to scream their love for each other from the rooftops. Although it would be a few more years before the military would recognize same-sex marriages, Lisa and Anna both returned to Kodiak, Alaska, where they were stationed. Back at Kodiak, both ladies were thriving in their military careers. Lisa had a very bubbly personality, and she had a coworker named Adrian Loya, who was her supervisor. Lisa was always very friendly to Adrian, and they were really best buds. Adrian didn’t have many friends, but when he was with Lisa, he seemed to come out of his shell while he was with her. And actually, during Thanksgiving 2011, before Lisa and Anna actually tied the knot, Lisa introduced Anna to Adrian, but Anna was not a huge fan of this guy. It was something about him. Some may call it jealousy. Some may call it intuition. But Anna did not like Adrian Loya. Specifically, she didn't like her wife hanging out with him. But Adrian was Lisa's supervisor and coworker, So while they maybe stopped hanging out outside duty hours, they still saw each other constantly. At work, they made references to TV show Arrested Development, and they shared their dry sense of humor with each other. And Lisa really enjoyed Adrian's company. Well, on September 9th, 2012, while Anna was away at training and Lisa was home alone, a little bit after midnight, Lisa sent Adrian a text message to come over and watch TV and have some drinks with her. Adrian was usually very much a loner, and while being alone was his thing something about the invite brought excitement into his soul. It was never the case that anyone really wanted to hang out with Adrian Loya. So receiving a text message that someone wanted to hang out with him, he was very excited. He later explained that Lisa had a way about her, that every time he was around her, he just felt good. He dubbed this the Lisa effect, and he was feeling this to the extreme at this moment. So he got ready and he headed over to Lisa's apartment. 30 or more minutes later, Adrian arrived at her place and immediately he noticed that Lisa had been drinking and he started to kind of clam up. They were sitting on the couch watching The Simpsons when Adrian recalled that Lisa made a move on him. She didn't touch his private parts or anything like that. She just made a move on him. And Adrian rejected Lisa's advance. At some point in the night, Lisa got up and went to the bedroom. She tried to get Adrian to follow her. According to reporting by Patrick Flannery from Psychology Today, Adrian said that Lisa told him, quote, come on, we can do it, end quote. Meanwhile, Adrian was a nervous wreck on the inside. According to Adrian, Lisa said, quote, it's okay as long as we don't tell Anna, end quote. Adrian really wanted to leave because he realized he made a huge mistake, but he didn't leave because, well, I don't know. I guess we'll never really know. Soon, Adrian heard a thump from the bedroom. Believing Lisa fell or hurt herself, he entered the bedroom. Lisa was fine. She invited Adrian inside to sit next to her on the bed, and she touched his arm and tried to kiss him. When Adrian declined, Lisa allegedly said, quote, dude, what the f*** is your problem, man? Just come to bed, end quote. But again, Adrian declined the advances and he exited to the living room. By all accounts, Lisa fell asleep and nothing else happened. Adrian stayed on the couch as random thoughts raced through his head. He realized, holy crap, she's drunk. She's my subordinate. Why am I even here? He later write his thoughts in a journal as, quote, what if she turns this around on me? What if this ruins our friendship? Worst of all, what if the Coast Guard discharges me? End quote. Adrian hardly slept that night and a few hours later, he went home. Later that day, Adrian received an apologetic text message from Lisa to the effect of, I'm so sorry about last night. Let's pretend it never happened. And this moment put into action a plan that would take two plus years to result in a standoff between Adrian Loya and the woman he dubbed his rapist in the wee hours of the morning on February 5th, 2015. While Lisa and Anna were living their best life, Adrian Loya was stewing over a perceived wrong. He felt that Lisa Chepnikova raped him and he was upset that she wasn't taking responsibility. So a few months after this happened, Adrian wrote Lisa a 16-page letter explaining how he felt and he emailed it to Lisa. Now, I'm not sure what the letter said, although I did find some things reported in Psychology Today. Apparently, the letter was a confrontation of sorts telling Lisa what she did to his mind. In the letter, he wrote that he wasn't sure if he had a crush or PTSD. Honestly, no one is sure whether Lisa read the entire 16 pages, but regardless, she didn't respond. So Adrian doubled down and he sent the letter to Anna just to make sure that Lisa wasn't trying to hide anything from her. But this only worked to anger Lisa, and she told him to leave them alone and never talk to them again. But Adrian, a persistent man at that point, he felt that he had tried to handle the assault on his own. So he turned to his superiors and he reported what happened to him and they investigated it. But the investigation took time. Meanwhile, Lisa continued doing her job and Adrian continued doing his by summer of 2013. Well, that summer would be a big PCS season for Lisa, Anna and Adrian. Anna and Lisa were relocated to Massachusetts and Adrian was relocated to Chesapeake, Virginia. Meanwhile, the investigation had come to a conclusion and Adrian was brought into his leadership's office. They sat him down and they told him the investigation into his allegation of rape and sexual assault had concluded with negative findings. The disposition of allegations read in part, quote, the decision was made to not pursue criminal charges in the case. This decision was not made lightly, but with careful consideration of the facts and the circumstances under which you made these allegations. The Coast Guard takes allegations of sexual assault very seriously, and a thorough investigation was completed into this matter. The general basis for the decision was that the evidence did not support criminal charges in this case. quote. When Adrian read this, he was mad. But what really upset Adrian was that he was also issued a page seven reprimand, which was placed in his military file. The page seven reprimand was specifically for Adrian's role in the incident because he was Lisa's supervisor and he shouldn't have been at her house. The page seven read in part, quote, you exploited your position as a senior member of the division to increase contact with Lisa and communicate unsolicited amorous feelings. Your behavior affected your entire division, causing individual angst and decreased productivity, end quote. Additionally, the Coast Guard provided him with an order to cut off all communication with Lisa and Anna. Adrian Loya was pissed. So pissed, in fact, that he refused to sign the Page 7 acknowledging receipt. And it was then, while in Virginia, that Adrian entered into a deep, deep depression. While he was always a loner, there was one thing that he loved to do, play video games. But his depression hit him so hard that Adrian didn't have a desire to even play video games. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't think straight. He began to take Benadryl just to be able to sleep. He contemplated death. In fact, he no longer wanted to live. Everything hurt. He actually reached the decision point. He would die. But if he was going to die, he wanted Lisa to die as well because he wanted revenge. He wanted her to know what she did to him. And he sat down and he began to write out his plan. But first, he had to make sure to find Lisa. Sometime in 2014, Adrian went online to one of those websites where you can find information about someone. And he paid $15 or something like that and he found all of Lisa's current and previous addresses. Bingo. Adrian Loya then sat down, and he began to write his plan out. And one page turned into 10 pages, turned into 100 pages, and the final so-called manifesto was over 250 pages long. The printed version of this manifesto was titled The Wrath of Loya, but the computer version was titled The Loyal Wars with a subtitle that read a little while ago on an island far, far away. And get this, the final chapter of The Loyal Wars. Well, it was written, I guess the whole thing was written to mimic the Star Wars, but the final chapter was titled Operation Purple Rebel. Operation Purple Rebel laid out exactly how Adrian intended to kill Lisa His plan was always to kill Lisa by stabbing her in the heart. He wanted to make sure that she was looking into his eyes and knew exactly who was taking her life. And then he wanted to commit suicide by cop. He never intended to hurt Anna, but he knew that she could possibly be collateral damage. Throughout this document, later dubbed, like I said, a manifesto, Adrian talked about terminating Lisa He talked about always having a hyperactive imagination as a kid and how it was so crazy that he was planning this mission to murder a girl. But in his mind, quote, you must seek revenge in the name of justice, end quote. And he said, "Hmm, the United States taught me that. Adrian described that he would rip his eyebrows out in anxiety while preparing his plan. And when he was done, Adrian Loya now needed to decide on a date. And he figured it out, his 31st birthday, February 4th, 2015. What a perfect day to die, the same day that you were born. But before that date, Adrian needed to conduct a dry run, and he chose October of 2014. He took two weeks of leave under the guise that he was job hunting because at that point he was planning on separating from the Coast Guard in early 2015. So he got into his car and he made the 10 hour drive from Virginia to Massachusetts. When Adrian got to Massachusetts, well, he needed to make sure that the Internet wasn't lying. He knew that it would be too obvious for him to sit outside the house from afar. So instead, he set up deer cameras by a tree across the street from where he believed Anna and Lisa lived. He set it up and then he left. He'd later return and retrieve the camera and watch it to learn that bingo, this was exactly where the ladies lived. Sadly, unbeknownst to Lisa or Anna, they were being watched doing their everyday things, entering and exiting their home while they were alone, sometimes in uniform, sometimes while they were taking out the trash. It's actually very sad to watch because once you learn what happens, Just a few months later, it's just very sad they had no idea what was happening. It was during Adrian's return trip to Virginia as Adrian drove through Pennsylvania that his anxiety got the best of him and he had a full-blown panic attack. But what I failed to tell you is that Adrian Loya filmed everything. Not only was he filming the outside of the Chupnikova home, he filmed himself as he took all these steps. And he used a dash cam and this panic attack on his return trip was also caught on camera. And Adrian acknowledges the camera and almost treats it like a friend or better yet, therapy. He explains to the camera why he thinks he's having this panic attack and that the reason he's recording himself is, quote, this is for myself. This is for the investigators. No more secrets like this. End quote. And Adrian makes it clear that he's upset when there's mass shootings and mass murders that take place and the perpetrator doesn't give their why. He believes he ain't going out like that. He wants everyone to know that this is a revenge killing and that, according to him, Lisa deserved to die because of what she did to him in September of 2012. Adrian, eventually, after having this panic attack, he calms himself down. And he goes on his way. In late January 2015, Adrian left his house in Virginia prepared to never return again. The final chapter of his manifesto was taking shape. Quote, confront Lisa any way I can and terminate her. Make sure Lisa knows that it is I taking her life. This should be interesting how it actually plays out. I am very excited, end quote. Adrian then drove to Bourne, Massachusetts. He arrived at the Quality Inn where he checked into room 101. And for a few days, he cased out the place. He wanted to make sure that Lisa was still living in the same place. Before his mission was set to begin, he took a laxative because he knew that humans are known to release everything in their bowel upon dying. And he didn't want to poop himself in the process of committing suicide by cop. On February 5th, 2015, Adrian left his hotel room after one o'clock in the morning. He arrived at the condo where Lisa and Anna lived. There was only one way in and out from the complex by car. So Adrian parked his Mazda right at the entrance to keep cars from coming in and from leaving. He then set up what appeared to be explosive devices around the car and around the area. He also set up a boombox where he played his, quote, battle music. Now, I believe it was the theme songs from Batman Begins and James Bond. By the way, Adrian also wrapped a smoke bomb to the boombox for dramatic effect. Then Adrian, armed to the T and wearing his GoPro taped to his chest, he set his car on fire to create a diversion. Then he briskly walked to 11 Roundhouse Road. Adrian was armed with four guns, a knife, and two sets of handcuffs. But most importantly, he had a mask to hide his identity. He sets up in front of House 11. He points his rifle at the door locks and boom, boom, boom. He shoots his way in. He sees the stairs and he quickly makes his way upstairs. Now, the thing is, once he was inside, he knew exactly where he was going, even though he'd never seen the inside before. You see, during his preparation, he found a real estate listing with a house that had an identical layout. So when he entered the home, he knew exactly where he was going. At this point, Adrian found himself at the top of the stairs when one of the Trepnikova cats actually attacked him, which freaked him out. So instead of taking a deep breath and gathering his bearings, He charged into the room after the cat spooked him. Lisa and Anna were, of course, screaming. Adrian had a light on his gun and it was blinding the ladies. They could barely see. They were wondering who the hell he was and what he wanted. And that's when he took the sheets off the bed. He threw Anna's phone across the room and then he took off his mask. Lisa immediately recognized him. And as she shouted his name, it clicked in Anna's head. Oh, this is Adrian Loya. That weird Coast Guard guy with the 16-page letter, wasn't he ordered to stay away from them? But listen, at this point, that's neither here nor there. The ladies finally obeyed his command to get on separate sides of the bed. He then threw each of them a set of handcuffs and ordered them to put them on. They did not want to do this, though. But as Adrian was pacing back and forth and back and forth from the window to the door, he was getting more and more agitated. Adrian yelled, just do it. And Anna put the cuff on one of her wrists, but hid her other wrist so that he wouldn't tell if she had it on all the way or not. But Lisa, she was being defiant. At some point, Adrian is out of sight and the ladies flip the mattress to use it as a shield. And they both get on the same side of the bed as each other. And remember, it's still dark in the bedroom. But as Lisa approaches, she has her phone in her hand and the screen has lit up the entire room. And Anna slaps it away because she's fearful that Adrian will see it. But then he returns and he's like, what do you think you're doing? Because remember, they have the mattress at this point. He tries to wrestle the mattress down, but it only slips a little bit. And then Anna hears one gunshot. She's thinking it's a warning shot. But then she hears more shots and she remembers not being shot in that moment. And then she felt the pain of being shot. Then the shots stopped. Anna looked to Lisa and she knew that Lisa was badly hurt. Anna told Lisa that she loved her and Lisa said, quote, I love you too, end quote. Then Anna heard gurgling, gushing, and she heard Lisa take one last deep breath. And then Anna knew she was gone. Anna sat there in the darkness and she waited to just die. But then, as she realized that she still had thoughts, she knew she hadn't been shot in the head, but she doesn't remember feeling pain at that point. And then, in the darkness, she heard a faint voice. 911, what is your emergency? And Anna looked over and saw Lisa's phone. It turns out that Lisa was able to dial 911 just as Anna slapped the phone out of her hand. Anna heard the operator and she wailed and wailed, calling, Help, help, help. The operator was like, Where are you? Anna walked the operator through the excruciating nightmare that she was living. She told him the name of the perpetrator and the fact that she didn't know where he was. She asked, I mean, she begged the operator, Please, please send help. She told him she was dying. Meanwhile, outside the home, An officer had arrived at the scene and he saw the burning car. Officer Jared McDonald parked his car and got out. As he walked out of his car, he immediately heard gunshots. So he went and grabbed his service weapon from the holster and then he heard another shot and instantly he went down. He'd been shot in the back. His right leg was no longer working. But he thought fast as he pulled himself behind his car to take cover. Officer Nathan Montero arrived at Officer McDonald's side just as Officer McDonald holstered his gun. But Montero was like, no, 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 no way, man. You are still in this. We are still in this battle. Meanwhile, Anna is still inside on the phone with 911. And she heard that an officer had been shot. She actually heard the gunshots. And there is chaos everywhere. 30 minutes into the 911 call, Anna was like, please, please come. And they are outside, but they need to get past the burning car and they need to assess the explosive devices. They do not need any more casualties that night. And then just at about 45 minutes after everything started, Adrian Loya put down his gear, guns and camera. And with his hands behind his head, he walked out to be apprehended by the police. But as in any situation, the police needed to ensure that this was not an ambush. And then finally, 56 minutes after Anna got on the call with 911, first responders arrived at her side to assist. Lisa was dead on arrival. She had been shot 11 times. Anna was still alive. She had been shot four times in the arms, thigh and chest. Officer Jared McDonald had been shot once right below the spine. He and Anna were transported to the ER. Anna and Officer McDonald did survive the tragic events of February 5th. But of course, they were forever scarred. While medical responders were working on Anna and Officer McDonald, Adrian Loya was at the police station and he had a lot to say. He told the police he was going to confess to everything and he did. He told them about how his planning started over a year ago after he had been sexually assaulted by Lisa. And the police were trying to assess the situation like, okay, well, what did she do to you? And he told them everything. She got drunk, she grabbed his arm and tried to kiss him. And the police, they kind of stare at him. And at that point, Adrian admitted on camera. Yeah, it's not like a real rape. It's more like a, quote, rape of the mind, end quote. Those are his words, not mine. Adrian admitted to the police that he wanted to commit suicide by cop, but that since not one officer shot at him, he just gave himself up. Adrian went on and on and on about what he did and why he did it. He wrote the manifesto so that people knew that Lisa was the one to blame for her own demise. And he indicated that the reason he recorded everything, well, because after it was all said and done, he wanted the world to know that this was a personal killing, not a terrorist attack. He didn't want to leave anything to anyone's imagination. Simultaneously, officers were arriving at Adrian's house in Virginia. And when they arrived, well, let's just say Adrian prepared his place for visitors. Before he left on his final mission, Operation Purple Rebel, he took oil and put it all around his house. He poured it on the stairs, the handrails, the floors. Now, it wasn't necessarily to stop the authorities, but really more to be an inconvenience. Adrian also oddly left behind life-sized cardboard cutouts of Princess Leia and Han Solo in his house. Investigators also searched his hotel room back in Massachusetts. And listen, remember those explosive devices, the ones that were found at the scene? It turned out that they were just a hoax. They looked like explosive devices, but they were not capable of exploding. Additionally, it was discovered that a few days before the murder, Adrian had mailed some expensive, nerdy type equipment to a popular gaming website called Giant Bomb. Now, the guys from Giant Bomb, they made a video opening the boxes that they had received from one of their fans. And Adrian gave them some pretty expensive stuff. I mean, even the guys are kind of shocked by this gift. They read a letter written by Adrian and Adrian basically says that you should never point a gun at someone unless you intend to kill it and other stuff. He says he signs the letter Purple Rebel in the field of battle. Investigators eventually reach out to Giant Bomb and ask them to kindly return everything Adrian sent them and they comply. So you're probably wondering what happened to Adrian. Well, Adrian Loya faced 30 criminal charges, and 2 years after the murder in 2017, Adrian would finally have his day in court. But during opening statements, Adrian's attorney told the jury, "Listen, this is not a case of who done it or why, but the ultimate question for you to decide is whether or not my client was of sound mind." when he committed the crime. Many police officers testified during this trial, but the star witness was Anna Tropnikova herself. When she took the stand, she was wearing a bright yellow shirt. And when I watched it, it was so sad to see her take the stand because as she sat there, she was terrified. Imagine, she heard her wife take her last breath at the hands of a fellow service member. How does someone who has experienced that ever feel safe in this world again? When the prosecutor asked Anna the very first question, which was, "Please state your name." Anna was taken aback by emotion. She tried to hold back the tears, but she just she just couldn't. They were just coming down. After she got over the initial hurdle of making the tears stop, Anna was a force in the courtroom. She was clear, concise, And she showed no hesitation in telling the jury what this man did to her and her wife. The jury got to hear the agonizing 56-minute 911 call. Anna telling the operator, please hurry. As her voice dropped to a whisper, she said, I can't breathe. I'm dying, he told the operator. The jury got to hear partial parts of Adrian's confession tape to the Bourne police. They got to see the surveillance video that Adrian made of the ladies as he preyed on them from outside their home. They got to see the dash cam footage of Adrian hyperventilating during his panic attack during his dry run. They got to see the GoPro camera footage of what happened on the night of Lisa's murder. And of course, they got to hear from Officer McDonald. The key to the case, however, was hearing from the experts was Adrian mentally responsible for his crimes? Interestingly, there were three state experts and one defense expert, and two of the four experts said he was not a right mind. Now, the question was, does Adrian lack criminal responsibility? And the court stated, quote, a person is not responsible for criminal conduct if at the time of such conduct as a result of mental disease or defect he lacks substantial capacity either to appreciate the criminality, wrongfulness, of his conduct or to conform his conduct, the requirements of law, end quote. Dr. Kelly Martin, one of the state's experts. So Dr. Kelly interviewed Adrian three times and he determined that Adrian had, quote, high functioning Asperger's syndrome, a disorder on the autism spectrum. And that condition was hardwired in the brain. Not something that is acquired, readily amenable to treatment or episodic." End quote. Now this doctor considered, but rejected, a diagnosis of schizoid personality disorder, major depression disorder, and delusional disorder. Ultimately, Dr. Kelly determined that Adrian suffered from a, quote, "a mental disease, and that as a result of that mental disease, he lacked the substantial capacity to conform his conduct to the requirements of the law. End quote. The single defense expert, Dr. John Dignault, determined that Adrian, quote, had not been criminally responsible for his actions on the night of the shooting, but concluded as well that the defendant suffered from a delusional disorder and did not suffer from Asperger's syndrome, end quote. So, as you can tell, even these two experts who agree that he had some sort of disorder, they couldn't even agree on the diagnosis. The other two experts did not believe that Adrian Loya suffered from any disease, which made him incapable of appreciating the nature of his crime. Now, I'm just going to add that one expert, another expert, Dr. Holtzen, did believe that Adrian suffered from major depression disorder. So just a little break break during the defense's expert testimony, Dr. Dignall, he revealed that back in June of 2014, eight months before the murder, Adrian actually stopped and, quote, wondered if he should abandon his plan and seek professional help since he was planning to kill Lisa and himself die while fighting the police. But he knew telling his story to a mental health professional would have been awkward and he would have probably been immediately arrested, end quote. But something even more shocking that actually happened in the courtroom before the trial concluded was as follows. So the attorneys were talking to the judge at the bench when Adrian turned to the jury, looked at one juror who was looking right at him, and Adrian Loya mouthed, I'm guilty. The judge was rightfully made aware of this incident, which was caught on camera, by the way, and he had some words for Adrian Loya. The judge told him, you get your act together or you're going to be watching your trial on television. After a nine-day trial, Adrian was found guilty of 29 of the 30 charges. And let me just tell you what the charges were to begin with. They were first-degree murder, three counts of assault with intent to murder, three counts of aggravated assault and battery by means of a dangerous weapon, two counts of armed home invasion, two counts of armed assault in a dwelling, three counts of using a firearm in the commission of a felony, two counts of armed kidnapping with bodily injury, One count of burglary and assault on an occupant, one count of burning a motor vehicle, one count of possessing a hoax device, one count of assault and battery on a police officer, and 10 counts of possessing a large capacity feeding device. The only charge of which he was acquitted was armed assault with intent to commit murder as it related to Anna Trubnikova. The reason he was acquitted of this was probably because he wrote in his journal, he said over and over again that he wasn't there for Anna. So, in essence, there was no intent since he shot through the mattress, I guess. In any event, months later, Adrian Loya returned to trial to be sentenced. During his sentencing, Adrian Loya was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. As Adrian Loya was leaving the courthouse in handcuffs, a reporter asked him if he had anything to say to the victim's family. And Adrian Loya simply said, I'm truly sorry. Since the trial, Adrian Loya is getting the help that he needs. I would like to tell you a little bit about Adrian Loya. Now, all of the information I'm about to share with you, I obtained from an article written by Patrick Flannery. And this article was published in Psychology Today. Adrian Loya was born in El Paso, Texas, to Shirley Guerrero and George Loya. He is the oldest of three kids. His parents married when he was two years old, but divorced when he was four years old. Shirley, Adrian's mom, described that when Adrian was eight years old, he had wild mood swings. One minute he would be withdrawn, then the next minute he'd be confrontational, then the next minute he'd be volatile. Mom wanted him to be in counseling, but the dad was like, nah, he'll grow out of it. Eventually, Adrian's mom moved to San Antonio, but Adrian stayed with his father in El Paso. He joined the swim team at Burgess High School, but while he was a decent swimmer, Adrian was never really a good student. Adrian eventually joined the Coast Guard when he was 21, and it was more or less to get out of his dad's house. After the conviction, Adrian met with Patrick Flannery, and he told him, quote, Lisa didn't deserve to die, but she wasn't innocent. She still did something and she wasn't remorseful for what she did, end quote. Adrian admitted to Patrick that after he reported the assault to superiors, he was laughed at and told to, quote, just get over it, end quote. Adrian asked for a transfer at some point to a different base, but he was denied. And he said that they did allow him to move to a different desk to minimize contact with the two. And this was when they were in Kodiak, Alaska. Eventually, Adrian says when he reported to investigators, They opened a case, but in the meantime, they told him to seek counseling, which he did. He met with a therapist for nine weeks while he was in Kodiak, but he admits that the therapy actually made it worse. But once he left Alaska, he told himself he was going to continue therapy, but he never did. Because after he was notified of the result of the investigation, and once he received the page seven, he just kind of says that his mind just kind of lost it. In retrospect, As Adrian sits in jail and after undergoing therapy for about a year and taking antidepressant medication, Adrian realizes that had he gotten the help he needed instead of constantly being met with statements like, just get over it. Well, he says, quote, now I can see how horrible everything was and how it could have just easily been fixed. End quote. Of everything that's happened, Adrian's dad believes that the Coast Guard is partially to blame for what happened, but he doesn't think he's blameless. He said, quote, the biggest mistake I made with my son was I wouldn't listen to him when he had problems. Adrian's guilty. There's no doubt about it. But the question was always why? End quote. Adrian's mom told Psychology Today that she struggles with similar emotions, saying, quote, it's kind of a scary thing to think. Was it us? Should I have fought harder to get him help earlier? I don't know, but it's a losing battle because it's all past. End quote. From jail, Adrian wrote to Patrick Flannery and admitted, quote, Lisa never really did anything that bad to me. And it is because of how my mind is wired that her actions seemed horrible, end quote. I debated for a very long time whether I should include that last part about Adrian, his upbringing, his thoughts and his family's thoughts after trial. But I like my storytelling to be transparent. There are families on both sides of a trial the victim's family, and the perpetrator's family. And sadly, they are all victims. They all live with blame. What could they have done differently? And I wanted that to be a part of this story because Adrian's story is extreme, but how many less extreme stories are out there? The thing about military murder stories is that usually both the victim and the perpetrator are in the military, and many of us who have served either know the victim or the perpetrator, or we often know both. Since that tragic day in 2015, survivor Anna Trebnikova has chosen not to speak to the media, although she has said that every day is hard living without her wife, Lisa, who was an amazing human being. I found Lisa's Find a Grave link, and it read in part well, Lisa was an amazing person who knew how to love unconditionally and did so as is manifested by the many heartbroken family and friends who have supported us and grieved with us through this tragic time. As we struggle with the great loss of no longer having her here on earth, we are truly comforted to know that though she always lived a wonderful happy life, the last few years of her life were her happiest, and for that we are overjoyed." End quote. Join me live tonight on TikTok at 9 p.m. Central, where I get a chance to say hi to all of you. Find me on TikTok at Margot with a T at the end. And on Instagram, I'm at MilitaryMurderPodcast. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and produced in collaboration with my bootcamp and Hire fan club members. The music was created by Taiops. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week, and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next time. <laughs> I was working on her podcast. I don't want to.